0: Thank you, Bethany. It's a good reminder that the Lord is enough for us. Um, if you're like me, though, I don't always feel that way, right? I know He is, but uh, don't always feel that way. So our goal is that we would grow more and more to realize that He truly is enough. I'm very excited about continuing our study this morning in Romans 8. And as we do so, let's uh, just pause and ask the author for his guidance. Lord, it is true that we have nothing without you. And we celebrate your love for us. And as that last song, we, we ask, what love is this? And we confess that you are all we need, that you are enough for us. But I also confess for myself, and I'm sure for many of us here, that we don't live as if you are enough for us. We live in our worries and our fears and our anxieties uh, as if a Success of our life depends upon us, and we desire that we be able to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, to follow you, to walk with you, and to truly rest in you. And so we ask now as we turn our attention to your word, that what we know not, teach us, what we have not, give us, and what we are not, make us. In Jesus' name, amen. From time to time, I'm intrigued uh, to read in the newspaper, and there was one that came across in the Philadelphia Inquirer just last month. A Philadelphia man wrongly imprisoned for 25 years, settled with the city. He had been wrongly accused and wrongly uh, condemned, and barely uh, missed the death penalty because of the sentencing phase of the trial. Anthony Wright, the Philadelphia man who served nearly 25 years of a life without parole sentence for a 1991 murder that DNA evidence decades later proved he did not commit. And it's just uh, very sobering and, and sad to realize that there are times in our society where these things happen. Uh, sometimes people are condemned in, in prison um, because they did something, uh, and sometimes they get out because they 've done their time, sometimes they get out because um, what we call what getting out on good behavior they may get out a little earlier than their sentence, uh, or some people like this man get out because it was discovered they had a wrongful conviction i 'm just struck by that as we 're looking at our own subject in Romans eight about Uh, we have been condemned and condemned no longer. We looked at Deuteronomy chapter 5 where God gave us His perfect law that we were to perfectly obey to have the perfect life and perfect relationship with Him. And then we saw in Romans 7 that instead of bringing life to us, this law actually condemned us to death because of the sin that is within us. So just as this man was condemned to prison, uh, we were condemned, uh, and I love the decorations here, we were chained by sin uh, with no hope of, of freeing ourselves. So today we're going to, uh, as promised, as advertised, we're going to actually start with Romans 8 today. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, and we are going to look at uh, the first four verses of Romans 8, 1 to 4. And we are going to see here, I just want to set this up for you, we're going to see that there are two different kinds of laws, two different competing ways to live. You'll see the law of sin and death and the law of the spirit of life. And as I was reflecting on these things, I realized that what are laws? Laws are the rules that govern how you live in a certain kingdom, a certain place. Every place has their own rules, their own laws. And so the law of sin and death is the law that that rules a certain kingdom, and the law of the spirit of life rules another kingdom. So, with that, what I'd like to do is invite us all to stand together and we can read together these first four verses of Romans chapter 8. Verses 1 to 4, let's begin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know, as you were reading this, maybe you got confused and lost in some of this language, and what we hope to do today is to untangle some of that and to make sense of that. Uh, what we'll see, as I mentioned, that there are two different laws here. There is the law of sin and death. Uh, we see that in uh, verse two. and we see also the law of the spirit of life uh, in verse two, which has set us free from the law of sin and death. Uh, so let's deal with the first one, the law of sin and death. Uh, we'll see that uh, sin and death go together. These two concepts are always together. In Romans 7, we saw that we sin by nature. We have no choice but to sin. Uh, even the best of us, the best of us, however you want to put up as the highest ideal of human existence is a sinner. We all sin. We all stray from the things that God has given us to do. We all stray from that relationship with God. We would rather do things our way on our terms instead of follow after Him. What's the root of sin is not what we do. It's rejection of who God is in our lives, and that becomes hardwired into us. Uh, two of the examples we used last week to illustrate that was those of us who have children or are aware of what it's like to raise children know that we never have to teach a child to disobey, right? Never have to teach a child to disobey. You never have to teach a child to say no to your command. We have to teach our children to obey. We need to teach our children the value of saying yes to good things. But why is this true that we never have to say no? It's because it's hardwired in us That if somebody says, do this, we want to do something else. We want to disobey. And that's the way our relationship is with God as well. The other illustration we use, which I think resonated with me and it felt like it resonated with some other people, imagine yourself... Uh, placed in a room, and in that room are bushels and bushels of fruits and vegetables and grains, all kinds of wonderful things to eat. And you're in there with that room, and all of a sudden, a door opens in the corner, and a very hungry tiger is left in that room. And now that tiger has a choice of what he's going to eat. He can indulge in all kinds of fruits and vegetables and grains, or he can eat what? Me, you, right? Right? So what's he going to choose to do? He's going to choose to eat you. He's going to choose to eat me, not because he makes a mental calculation that he likes one better than the other. It's because his nature, by nature, he's a meat eater, and he's going to eat me instead of the fruits and vegetables. So he has a choice, but not really because of his nature. So by nature, we are sinners. Now, the consequence of sin... The result of sin is death. That's why these always go together. Paul says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin, the payment of sin, the consequence of sin is death. And we talked about that a little bit last week. That is death in our entirety of our being. It is spiritual death. That is, we are separated from God. We are left to our own devices We're not left to our own devices. We seek our own devices. We reject who God is, and we pursue other things. That is spiritual death, separation from God now and forever. There is also emotional, psychological, mental, social death. There are broken relationships, inward struggles, disordered thinking, destructive emotions, these things that come into our lives that distort and destroy our lives. That's also death. And then there's physical death. There is injury. There is sickness. And ultimately, we will all one day physically die. So, we live in this, under this law of sin and death. And if you look in verse 3, it's a fascinating statement. He says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, What he's saying is that God has done something else, which we're going to look into, but what his law, what those Ten Commandments could not do because they were weakened by the flesh, and that's a very interesting statement. How could the the perfect law of the perfect God fail? How could it be weakened in any way at all? And I got to thinking about that. I'm a child of the 60s and 70s. I grew up, I came of age, if you will, in the 60s and 70s. For those of you who lived through that time, your life was defined by the Vietnam War. And for some reason, some weeks ago, I just got interested in reading more and more about the the Vietnam War. And as I did so, it came to me that there was a perfect analogy there of how the perfect law of God Is made weak by our sin. The American military had a strategy of providing their ground troops with artillery and air cover. So the ground troops were able to expose themselves a little more to enemy fire because they could easily call in artillery fire and air cover, which was superior. The air coverage was superior to the the North Vietnamese. But what the North Vietnamese Army did in responding to that was they had two things. The North Vietnamese soldiers were instructed to hug the U.S. troops. And that was the image they used. They were instructed to hug. That is, stay close. Stay close. So if you're a U.S. soldier and you see that the enemy soldier is here, Uh, What's the problem with calling in air coverage? You're going to get bombed along with them. So what do you do? You back up to create some distance. Well, the North Vietnamese Army then had the second strategy, which they called hanging on the belt. Hanging on the belt. So basically, hug the troops, grab their belt, and when they back up, you're right with them. So what did it do? It took that vast power the vast air power of the U.S. military and neutralized it, made it ineffective. It didn't make the planes weaker. It didn't make the bombs weaker. What it did was made them ineffective because of the enemy that was infiltrated into the ranks. Because if the airplanes dropped the bombs on the North Vietnamese army, they would also be killing their own troops. So God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. We are condemned by condemned to death by the law that was to give us life. And God's law itself not only couldn't save us because of this enemy within, it actually condemned us to death because of our violation of its standards. And unlike Mr. Wright that we read about here in the paper, we are not wrongly convicted. There is no DNA evidence that's gonna come up that's gonna get us off the hook from having violated God's law we're not going to be able to do our time because what is the time? What is the penalty? It's an eternity of separation from God and we're not going to be able to get out for good behavior. We are condemned to death because of this law. So we see that the law of sin and death brings in the fact that God's law is weakened by the flesh. Well, let's turn now to the law of the spirit of life. The law of the spirit of life, we see here in verse two, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It has set you free. And notice here there are a couple things. And what I'm going to do as we go through this slide is I'm going to, in the blue, highlight the things that are associated with the law of sin and death, and in the red, highlight the things that are associated with the law of the spirit of life, the first thing we see is that God has done, God has done in verse 3 what the law could not do. God has done. There are things that we can't do. There are things that our flesh can't do. God has done it. God has done it. And as we get through this, we're actually going to see that there were… two actions that God did uh, as a result of, he says he sent his own son, and there were two results of that. So, what he did, first of all, he sent his own son. You see that in, again, the verse 3, for God has done what the law could not do by sending his own son, by sending his own son. I think this is very profound, because if I want to get a job done, what can I do? Well, I could send you to do that job, or I could send somebody else to do that job, or I could send an employee or a friend to do that job. What does God do? He does not send an angel. He does not send a prophet. He does not send a human being. What does he do? He sends his son. He does it himself. This is God becoming human, God taking on human flesh. For what we could not do, God did by sending his own son. So, as I said, when Jesus came, there were two things that that Paul says here that he accomplished, and then there were two results of that, of what he did. The first thing that he accomplished is that he came, if you look there in the end of verse 3, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came to be like us. Jesus just didn't come to where we are to rescue us. He became like us. He became like us in every detail of our lives except without the sin. If you look in Hebrews, you don't have to do that now, but Hebrews 2.17, Hebrews 4.15, the writer that says he was made just like us except without sin. So the eternal God of the universe comes down to be like us, to join into our struggles and our everyday Problems, so that he can rescue us. He doesn't need to do that to show us he cares about us or to, to understand us. He's the God of the universe. He understands us, but he comes because that's what he has to do to rescue us. I had another example that I was going to share until what happened this week came up, which is a perfect example. Many of you have been following, the uh, case in Thailand of the. Uh, 25-year-old soccer coach and 12, 11 to 16, well, 15. One boy turned 16 when he was down there. uh, 11 to 15-year-old boys who went on an excursion into a cave in Thailand. And while they were in the cave, there were uh, rain and a flash flood that filled the cave with water stranding them inside the cave. This cave is so flooded that it takes expert divers. They have Navy SEAL. Divers, expert divers, it takes them about six hours to swim into where these boys are and about five hours to get out. This is not just a little bit of water. What's interesting is these boys are now condemned to death. They are in this cave. Their bicycles were found outside, their soccer shoes and stuff. So that's how people found out they were in there. It took them 10 days until they were discovered, until they were found where they were in the cave. So, these boys basically are condemned to death. They're going to die. There there is nothing that can rescue them. What did somebody have to do? Somebody had to become like them. Somebody had to enter their world and become like them. So, right now, there are doctors and nurses and medical personnel in the cave with these boys taking care of them. So, these divers have to go in to become like them. So that these boys eventually could be like these divers, free. And that's, in a limited sense, what Jesus did for us. Because these divers didn't actually become everything these boys were. And unfortunately, one of the divers has died on his way out. He, uh, a couple of days, a day or so ago, one of the divers ran out of air when he was leaving and drowned. He died. So he gave his life to rescue these boys. So even in that tragedy, the the sounds are familiar as Jesus died to rescue us. We just heard this morning, if you're following the story, and it's probably updated now, they decided the best way to get these boys out was to actually swim them out with the tandem with the divers coming out. They have four of them out so far. They expect it's going to take a while because, remember, it's a six-hour trip one way to get in and out. So we can be praying for them. But this is a perfect example of what Jesus did for us. He was made like us. He entered our world. He came to where we were because we could not save ourselves. And it just wasn't a matter of thing that he could throw us a, a life raft attached to a rope. He actually had to come to be with us, like us as we are, to rescue us. Just as these divers have to get to these boys to be like them, to be able to rescue them. So God has done what we could not do. He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, but not just in the likeness of sinful flesh, but he sent him for sin. Uh, Some translations say it is an offering for sin, which is what that's referring to. He came to deal with our sin problem once and for all, and he did it for us. He did it for us. Well, how did he do that? Well, in his life... He perfectly obeyed every aspect of that law that we could not obey. He obeyed perfectly every point of the law every time. And I'm sorry I failed to mention for some of you who like to take notes. I do have there was a note sheet in your bulletin if you want to follow that through. So, number one is the law of sin and death. Number two is the uh, law of spirit of life, and God sends His own Son. So, and the point below that is uh, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now we're on uh, for sin. My apologies. So, in his life, he perfectly obeyed God's perfect law every time. He never once failed. He was sinless. Therefore, he did not deserve to die. But he did die when he was nailed to the cross. And when he was on that cross, in his death, he took on himself the penalty that we deserve for that disobedience. He took upon himself the death that we deserve for our disobedience. He did not disobey. He did not deserve to die. He took upon himself our punishment. And in his resurrection, he rose from the dead that we can have new life. So in his life, he perfectly obeyed. In his death, he paid the penalty that we that we owe, that we could never pay, and his resurrection. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He beat it. He rose from the dead and can give us new life now. He didn't just sacrifice his life. See, if he had died for us it would have, and did not rise from the dead, it would have been a noble cause. It would have been a, a great martyr. It would, would have been an act of love, but it would have been useless because death would still be in power but when he rose from the dead he conquered death he beat death he beat our greatest enemy death so there is nothing that can now hold us between him and god between us and god in his life his death and his resurrection he covered it all well what were the two results so there were two actions he came in the likeness of sinful flesh and he came for sin well what were the results and if you look in uh, Uh, Again, at the end of verse 3, he condemned sin in the flesh. It says, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh. Uh, I love this image that was set up here. Uh, Paul says in Colossians 2 that when Jesus was nailed to the cross, God nailed with him the law that was against us the decrees that were against us. He nailed to the cross the sentence that we had to pay. In a sense, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, we were nailed to the cross. He did it for us. He died the death that we should have died. So he condemned sin in the flesh. He canceled the record of debt against us, not by writing it off, but by paying it in full. Just think of what it is that the eternal Son of God takes upon himself the eternal weight of my separation from God. He takes upon himself for all of us, not just me, but for all of us. He pays the penalty that we should have paid, and he canceled the record of debt against us by paying it in full. This is a stunning reversal. Stunning, if you think about it, because in verse chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for us. That means that we were condemned We were condemned to die. We were condemned to an eternal separation from God. But what has happened now? Sin is now condemned to death. The thing that was condemning us to death is now itself condemned to death, and we are free. What a stunning reversal. We once were condemned to death because of the sin within us. Now sin itself is condemned to death, and we are free. Now, I can hear you say, yeah, but sin's still around us. I still sin, I still struggle with it. Yes, sin has been condemned to death. It's on death row, but it has not yet been executed. But its power has been broken. What was begun at the cross will be completed when Jesus comes back, and sin will be totally eradicated forever. And we're going to deal with this more as we get into Romans. All right, what do we do with the sin that's still here? But the point that we're making right now is that the power of sin has been broken. Sin that was condemning us to death now itself has been condemned to death. It's still around, hasn't been put to death yet, but it has been condemned to death. And when Jesus comes back, it will be fully condemned to death. It will be put to death. And in the process, God changes us. He molds us into His character. And as I say, we'll get into that in more detail as we dig into Romans 8. So Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came for sin so that sin would be condemned in the flesh. And then in verse 4, he says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Sometimes these words are very important. He says the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled, what? In us. Not by us. In us. That's very significant. He says, and then he gives two uh, qualifications. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. All right, well, what does this mean, according to? And that, that's going to become a key to understanding what it means to, to walk according to the flesh and walk according to the Spirit. So, walking according to the flesh is referring to or it's connected with the law of sin and death. And basically, walking according to the flesh is what our personal effort looks like. It's what we're putting into this. It's our attempt to obey God. It's our attempt to get to God on our own. To walk according to the flesh means to live in conformity with or depending on or in the direction of the law of sin and death. To walk according to the flesh means to live in conformity with or dependence upon or in the direction of sin and death. Basically, it's the rules of the kingdom of this world. The rules of the kingdom of this world are that you don't need God. You can get through life on your own. You can do it as a religious person, as an unreligious person. You can do it as a moral person or as an immoral person. You can do it however you want to do it, but it's on your own. It's separated from God. Well, what do I have to do to be a member of the kingdom of this world? What do I have to do to live under the law of sin and death? You don't have to do a thing. You are a natural-born citizen of the kingdom of this world. You don't have to do a thing. You just continue what you're doing, continue how you're living, continue however you see life apart from God, and you are a member of the kingdom of this world subject to the law of sin and death. And when that time comes for you to die, you will be eternally separated from God forever because... You're you're separated from Him now and didn't do anything to get things back. That will continue on into eternity. Well, what about walking according to the Spirit? Well, that's connected with the law of the Spirit of life. Well, what is the law of Spirit of life? Well, it's living in conformity with and depending on and in the direction of the law of the Spirit, which are the rules of the kingdom of God. There's the rules of the kingdom of this world, and there's the rules of the kingdom of God. But what's the rule? Say, so, okay, there we go. There's something I have to do. There's something I have to obey. No, what is the rules of the kingdom of God? It's grace. It's God's grace to us that we receive by faith. There's nothing you need to do. What does verse 3 say? For God has done what the law could not do. God has taken care of it. He's done everything. He's given us His grace. He's given us His favor. He's given us everything that we need. Jesus came like us. He came for us. He died on the cross for us. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we had to die. He rose from the dead, conquering death that we couldn't do, so that sin is now condemned to death. And... The righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us. Well, how do we get to be a member of that kingdom? Because a member of the other kingdom, I already have my lifetime membership in that kingdom. How do I become a member of God's kingdom? It's by faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's a change of mind to accept what Jesus has done on your behalf in his life, his death, and his resurrection. It is faith in his work for you. It's faith in his work for you, believing that he, his life was a perfectly lived life in obedience to the law, that his death was for you. It was a sacrificial death to pay the penalty for sin that you could not pay, and that he bodily rose from the dead to give you new life. We're going to look at this more next week in verses 5 to 11, but because of what Jesus has done, the Spirit of God now lives in us. And so the requirement of God's law is fulfilled in us because God Himself is living in us. It's not something I have to do. It's not a new law I have to obey. It's a relationship that God calls me into. Wow. So what can we say? There is therefore, as Paul starts off Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This week, I'm going to be a prophet. You are most likely going to experience some kind of guilt and condemnation this week. Selfishness, weakness, greed, failure to resist some kind of temptation, again. Impure thoughts, immoral activities, immoral thoughts, You failed your kids. You ruined their lives, (laughs) either real or perceived. Foolishness, regret. That's where I live a lot of times. I live in regret. Uh, Oh, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I had done that. Uh, A lot of regret. Well, when you struggle, not if you struggle, when you struggle with guilt and condemnation this week, you need to remember one of three things. At least one of three things. You may need to get all three of them. Because of Jesus' life, you are set free from obeying the law. There is nothing you can do or need to do to earn God's favor. So if you're feeling condemned this week, don't work harder to earn God's favor. There's nothing more you can do than Jesus dying on the cross for your sins. Because of Jesus' life, you are set free from the requirement to obey God's law. Jesus obeyed it for you. He obeyed it for you. There's nothing more you need to do. Well, Maybe you need to remember that because of Jesus' death, you are forgiven of all your sins. There is nothing you could have done in the past. There's nothing you can do today. There's nothing you can do in the future that is beyond God's reach, that is bad enough to keep you from God's favor. So if you're feeling condemned, if you're feeling regret, if you're feeling guilt, you need to remember that Jesus' death on the cross provided the opportunity for you to be forgiven from all your sin, past, present, and future. There's nothing you could have done or can do that is bad enough to keep you from God's favor. And you may need to remember that because of Jesus' resurrection, you are empowered to live for God and not for sin. You cannot be so far gone that that God cannot raise your life from the dead. You cannot have made a mistake bad enough and ruined your life badly enough that God cannot resurrect that. That God cannot repair that. That God cannot bring you back from the dead, even the dead, because he did that with his own son, Jesus. So when condemnation comes, we must remember or at least remind each other of these things. See, it's very interesting. When I first went through these notes, I said, well, yeah, we got to remember these things. Well, we do, but... When I'm struggling, it's hard for me to remember. Sometimes I need you to remind me of these things. We need to remind one another of these things. If someone is struggling, sometimes we may need to remind them that when Jesus, Jesus, because of Jesus' life, you're free from trying to, to obey God. Because of Jesus' death, you're forgiven of all your sin. Because of his resurrection, you're empowered to live for God. We need to remind each other of these things because we get lost. We get lost in life. We get lost in the pain and the struggling and the suffering So, yeah, I do need to remember it, but sometimes I need you to remind me. Sometimes you need me to remind you. We need each other to remind each other. So those of us who are followers of Jesus are no longer citizens of the kingdom of this world, which is governed by the law of sin and death. God has moved us to be citizens of the kingdom of God, governed by the new law of the spirit of life who lives within, enables us to live in the grace of God by faith in him. We were natural-born citizens of the kingdom of this world, but God has done what the law could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit that He has placed in us. So this week when you're feeling condemned by yourself, by life, by others, Remember, this is the gospel. God did for us what we could not do for ourselves by sending his son Jesus to us to be like us, for us. We are condemned no longer. He now deals with, he now deals with us based on, on who he is and what he has done, not who we are and what we have done. God now deals with us based on who he is and what he has done, not who we are and what we have done. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's close this time. Father, I pray that you would take these great truths and drive them deeply into our hearts that we could understand in new ways what it means that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That you have done what the law could not do by sending your own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. You condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So I pray that when we are feeling condemned this week, that we would remember the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ who accomplished all of this for us so that we are no longer condemned. And we entrust this to you to apply that to each of our lives as you know we need, that we may find hope and encouragement in the midst of the struggles of this world. And we do continue to pray for these boys in Thailand and their coach and all those who are trying to rescue them, that you would please deliver them, rescue them with no further loss of life And let it be an example to those of the sacrificial love that you have brought to us through your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.